Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey everyone, this is Claire. I have a quick programming note before you listen to this episode. So Nicole and I had a little bit of brain fog when we recorded this one and we wanted to make some corrections up front. Um, So we heard a bunch of statistics in this event that Nicole and I attended. We went to the LB. J Library, and we attended an event called Women and the Future of Democracy. Um, a statistic that we wanted to share with you up front that we know is correct is that in Texas, people of color make up 56% of the population. In the show, I think we were a little bit off, so just wanted to add some clarity to that. And also, one of the panelists at this event was Christina Sinsun Ramirez, and she ran for U.S. Senate in 2020. She was running to be the Democratic nominee. It wasn't her, ultimately. It was MJ Hagar, and she went on to run against John Cornyn. In the podcast episode, I said Ted Cruz, so my mistake. Just wanted to clear that up up front, and I hope you enjoy this show. All right, here it is. Hi, everyone. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are excited to have y'all join us today for our mini episode in our election series. We went and attended an event at the LBJ Library called Women and the Future of Democracy. And we thought this would be a good event for us to go to so we could hear a little bit more about what's happening from leaders in this movement and just hear from them directly where 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 do women fit in our democracy in in the in texas and the u.s and internationally so it was a really good experience um a pretty full event and i'm glad we were able to go and see some of these great uh leaders in person nicole what do you what do you think just right off off the top of your head about this particular event Well, it was so well organized and had incredible speakers. And it, maybe you're about to say this, but it is kind of the follow-up to a summit that the LBJ Library was holding, I think broadly about women and the future of democracy. And so they had brought a bunch of women leaders together from different organizations around the U.S. and I think the world, right? I don't think this was just U.S.-based to talk about women and democracy. And this was the nighttime portion that had two panels that spoke about um, women and the future of democracy. So it was, it was much more well-rounded, I guess, than I thought I had assumed going in that it would be kind of more Texas based. So that alone, just the broader reach and the more global look at democracy, I found to be really interesting. And the implications are huge. They are huge. And it's so like of the moment um, to talk about this on an international level. You know, they spoke about, so the first panel, and we'll get into it more specifically, was about um, democracy in Texas, but sort of in our nation. And the second panel focused on um, Afghanistan and where that country's at now, now that the U.S. has pulled out almost a year ago to the date. 
and how women have been affected by that transition of power. And also, of course, touching on Iran because they have had lots of protests uh, because of the way a specific woman was treated and some said would say murdered under police custody for not obeying the rules. So it it was, yeah, a, a really timely conversation, and I'm glad we were able to go. And something that was really nice is that it was free. So if you ever want to go to events like this, I mean, I honestly go to Eventbrite like once a week and just Google like democracy, uh, politics, and find cool things to go to. I, I think that might have been how I came across this one. But we're fortunate that we live in Austin where they have a lot of events like this. But you never know what you can find. And it's always fun to just follow your curiosity and see what interesting things you can learn and who might be in your city and wanting to share more about the work that they do. Yeah, well, and speaking of, right, because we mentioned this was hosted at the LBJ Library, And, but Dallas, right, has the George W. Bush Library. So I would imagine they host all sorts of events. And one of the women that spoke who we're going to get into um, is from the George W. Bush Foundation, I think. Institute. We'll, We'll clarify that. The Institute. Okay. Yes. And she said when when she was introducing herself, like, come visit, come say hello to us. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. Like, that's a good uh, place to drop by next time I'm in Dallas. So I'm glad she said that because I don't know, sometimes you forget these are places that the public is invited to and they want you to come and experience. So presidential libraries are so cool. Yeah, they really are. Quick plug. I mean, they just... I've I've never been to one that I didn't find really fascinating. So, yes. All right, another plug: libraries, presidential libraries. Presidential libraries. We love them. <laughs> okay, so this um, evening was broken up into three pieces. The first piece was a panel, and then a second panel, and then a music presentation at the end, which was really fun. The first uh, panel featured. Uh, Four women, one was a moderator, three were speakers. The moderator was Lauren Leader, and she's the co-founder and CEO of All In Together. And this organization is very focused on engaging women, particularly young women, in the democratic process, in civic education, uh, civic engagement. And she was moderating this panel that had three incredible women on it. Uh, Christina Susan Ramirez, the executive director of Next Gen America. Y'all might also remember her name because she ran for the U.S. Senate in 2020. Wait, or 28. She ran recently against, she was trying to become the Democratic nominee against Ted Cruz. She wasn't the nominee, but she was in that race. So it was really cool getting to know her through that. And then lastly, Cheryl Cole was on the panel. She's a state representative here in the Austin area for House District 46. Oh, sorry. And lastly was Pat Mitchell. She's an environmental advocate and she was just such a wealth of knowledge. And even though we were here talking about women and democracy, she was so smart about always bringing it back to the environment and how, yes, we have so many threats that we have to fight against, but we can never forget this looming threat of our climate crisis. Uh, And I love that she is so on message, like we can't let this go. We have to make this something that's also part of the conversation. And it's just a good reminder that if you have that passion, you have to like be the one advocating for it. uh, Yeah. And she doesn't fit who you typically, or 
maybe I won't stereotype for everyone else, who I typically associate with concerns about the environment. I just looked up her age. She's 79. Um, And so it's really awesome to see someone of that generation who is really fired up about the environment and yet is eager to share the stage and pass the mic. So yes, yes, agree. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but there was something that she said about, oh, where was it? I'm blanking for are a you, minute. Are you referring to the mentor advice that she yes. shared? Yes. It was like, I, she was like, a mentor shared three things with me about advocacy and how it stuck with her. And they were great. I wrote them down. I can't find them in this moment. Well, uh, I'll but, help you. Yes, I help actually, me, Nicole. I have shorter notes. <laughs> <laughs> Mine weren't as extensive, so I can find them. Um, which it, she, the first one was make it a priority. Whatever your issue is, make it a priority. The second one was make it personal. And the third one was shift the narrative. And she did all of those things. She demonstrated all of them for us as we were watching her. She always brought it back to the environment while still acknowledging what other people were saying and the importance of the issues that they were raising, but always grounded it back in the importance of dealing with the environment. Um, so it was, it was great. Yes. Thank you. for I finally found it. Yes. And something else she said, we're just going to hop around this conversation, uh, but that she is a um, radical optimist and that you sometimes have to come from that place because a lot of these issues are so overwhelming and challenging and are going to require so many different components to actually solve these big problems, but to still have that optimistic mindset that you know, if we do work together and we're in this, we can make it happen. And like you said, she's, you know, a a little bit of a a different generation than we are, but she still hasn't lost the fight. And we love that about her. It's, it's really encouraging to see that she was there this evening and was forwarding what is top of mind for her and that she gave us good uh, reminders of what we should be doing when we're trying to advance the things that we're passionate about and care about. Should we share so another quote that she gave? Yes, yes. Let's st- stick with Pat. Thinking Pat was... about Pat. <laughs> <laughs> and she was such a lady, um, which I just enjoyed. And so another quote she said is that women must change the nature of power. The power. Wait, okay. I'm trying to say it in reverse too. Wait, women must change the nature of power so that the nature of power doesn't change women. No, I'm not quite getting that right. But... <laughs> I'm botching it, but hopefully the spirit of it is, is coming through. But basically if women want to be in powerful positions, we need to change the nature of power, not have the nature of power change us. Yes. I wrote that down too. Um, yes. I really like what she said. And and I so agree with this because I think that women, when we are in positions of power, we don't we're not going to conform to what that role is. We're going to take ownership of it and use our power in a different way than say a man would. And that's why we need more women in leadership because I think that when, well, they even like, I have said this in the past, I've done a lot of training with Annie's List and something that they say is when we have more women leaders, you see more bills, 
you just see more bills put forward, period. Like women are more likely to come up with solutions to fix these big problems. You see more collaboration, more working across the aisle. You see more bills that benefit women and children and family priorities. So when we do get our power, we use we see it as a different means to an end than men might. And that's why we really need to create more opportunities for women to get into power and to vote and to just have access to controlling what happens to us and our families but we we use it we use it to elevate ourselves but it, it, it's like the what's the thing like a high tide lifts all boats like it's we don't just like think of like me 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 like it's like okay community like we're all gonna improve from from the things that we are working on and that's why we need more women in democracy yes all right and if for no other reason I mean, all of those are obviously deeply compelling, but also if for no other reason, just for more parity and representation, right? Because the the statistics are pretty bleak, right? We are not fully represented in these places that hold so much power. And that's just a necessity for a fully representative democracy. Mm-hmm. And the moderator, Lauren Leader, started out with some statistics. I hope I'm getting these right. But I think she said that women of color represent 29% of the population, but they're only 8% of office holders. So right there, you see that they are just, they just don't, they're not, they don't have as, as much of a seat at the table um, compared to other populations. In Texas, we have a 30, I think she said a 34% poverty rate. Seems really high. But or I understood it as we rank 34th oh. for the number of women in poverty. In, in the nation. In the nation. That makes more sense. I was like, that's a lot of people. But I don't know. You never know here in Texas. Um, right. So we, again, need more women in leadership because women work on these problems. I mean, not all the time, but more often than not. Um And it was great that they had Representative Cheryl Cole on this panel because she is a leader right now in the Texas legislature who is trying to solve these problems. Um, She thinks a lot about like what what is the world our kids going to be inheriting and trying to help them inherit a good place to live because that's what it's about is leaving a good planet for them, um, good laws in place that support um that make it possible for them to have a good life and a good economy um and i like that she's thinking more broadly not so much about me and my family but the future generations which we think about a lot nicole you know being moms because our kids are they're not they're going to be hopefully around for a while and this planet needs some love yeah it does well and just because in the interest of accuracy, right? Because that is important to us. I did look up that statistic and it is, we rank 34th nationally. So I'm just going to read this okay, thank you. factoid <laughs> here. Uh, Texas ranks 34th nationally for the share of women in poverty. 17% of women in the state aged 18 and older are in poverty compared with 14.2% of Texas's men. It's kind of a lot. Right. There is that clarity. And we can do something about this if we work together, if we get more people in leadership who reflect back the needs of these folks and really understand how 
you know, the systemic issues of why we have that high percentage of people in poverty. There, there are mechanisms to help them. And it's just making sure that we have people who are thinking about solutions and, and not just maintaining the status quo. Yeah. And it circles us back around, right? To It would be wonderful if we had some reform in terms of leadership positions being paid positions, because, right, that really brings home how if you are living in poverty, how in the world could you serve in the legislature? It would just be impossible. Absolutely. Ah, that would be a great change. But, it really would. And, for, and today, we will just make you all aware, these state representatives do not make much money at all. And it would be incredible if they made a livable wage so that these could be realistic positions for a broader um, population. Um, and let's touch on Christina Sinsoon Ramirez. She's incredible. She is just so full of passion and urgency to change things, to, to make things better for the next generation. As a matter of fact, she is the executive director of Next Gen America. And my understanding is a big priority of that organization is mobilizing voters is getting the vote out, registering young people and letting them know that they have power in their vote and to not underestimate it and to use that. Um, she said something that I thought was really cool. She said, don't underestimate the power of a pissed off generation. And it's true. I mean, today we have a lot to be pissed off about. I mean, circling back to Pat, you know, the fact that we're inheriting this planet that has not been taken care of very well, past generations have not been good stewards of it. And that's something to be pissed off about. Like we have so much to do to clean it up, make it better for ourselves going forward and our children and their children. Um, we're pissed off because we're losing, you know, our reproductive rights. And it's really hard to see how many more rights could potentially be lost down the road with the current people in leadership um there's just like the the wealth disparity and how the wealth in wealth gap has been opening up more and more as time goes on there's so much to be upset about so i think the hope is that this will mobilize people to say enough is enough we're gonna take some back we're gonna take back some power and it's gonna start with voting and then maybe down the road it can start with more people running and more people getting into leadership and bit by bit creating a better democracy for all of us. Yeah, for sure. She, the way you just spoke about it, but she talked about how this generation, this of youth is faced with three crises, right? The climate, the economy, and the crisis of democracy. Um, so yeah, she said they, they're facing things that we have not had to at one time had to face in the past one other thing that she said is that one in three Texans are young women of color. That's quite a stat. Um, so just a more information that Christina was sharing. And she is so charismatic. I know you already said this, but my goodness gracious, everything that came out of her mouth made me want to lean in yes. and hear more. And so... I know. I hope she runs again one day. Uh, I thought she was a fabulous candidate when she ran for U.S. Senate. Um, but, you know, that's part of it is running and losing and still running again because you learn so many lessons through that process. And clearly it opened up more opportunities for her. I mean, she was already doing great work at the time. I think she was the executive director of this organization called JOLT. 
Um, but now she's working at NextGen. I think Jolt was more Texas-based and NextGen is more nationally yeah, based. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, she uh, is a leader, you know, whether it's in a political position or in a nonprofit. I'm just so thankful that she's continuing to do this work. And uh, yeah, her her excitement is infectious. And it's it, that's how we're going to start correcting the ship is through having these conversations and being inspired by people like her and the other fabulous panelists. Okay, should we move on to the other pan to the next panel? Let's do so. The next panel was the women of Afghanistan and the world, um, which I'll admit, actually, before when when the I think his name was oh, I can't remember his last name, but John. <laughs> who was the <laughs> the overall moderator for the whole um, event, when he, I somehow did not realize that there was going to be a second panel. And when he announced it, I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to find a connection to this. Um, but I'm so grateful <laughs> that I didn't let that question in my head stop me from being fully attentive and listening because it was so timely and applicable. Okay. So the title of this panel was the women of Afghanistan and the world. And the moderator was Valerie Dowling, who is the director of the women's democracy network at the international Republican Institute. That was a lot. I just threw at you. (laughs) And the panelists were Nahid Farid, who is a former member of the Afghanistan Afghanistan parliament and goodness gracious, the things she shared were fascinating. She's also a fellow at the Afghanistan policy lab. Um, there was also Natalie Ganella Platts, who is the director of women's advancement at the George W. Bush Institute, who Claire spoke about, who came from Dallas. And then finally there was Adela Raz, who's the former ambassador of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan to the United States. She's also a fellow at the Afghanistan Policy Lab. Yes. And um, Adela was the one who first began speaking about the state of Afghanistan. And the word she kept using over and over was heartbreaking, how um, the Taliban has just it sounds like they've come back stronger than ever since the US withdrew troops about a year ago and i it sounds like it's they've become a lot more brutal because when the US was there women did experience more opportunity for education for career growth to have lives outside the home and they internalized some of that power so when with U.S. troops withdrew, the Taliban saw it as an opportunity to, uh, to I don't know, backlash to like get these women back in line, and they they did so in a, in a crueler manner to try to um, I guess in their minds correct course, and it just sounds like it, like it's a it's a really hard time to be a woman in that country um, because of of the situa- of the international situation. Um, she said the state is slipping backwards, that women can't go outside. I think they can only go outside if they have a male chaperone. And she's, she said like only hope is – their only hope is in a miracle. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so bleak um, that that these women are just stuck in an awful situation. So 
it was it was really sobering hearing her kick off this conversation. It really was. Well, and maybe it's too soon to make this link, but watching what's happening in Iran, right, really helped me, I think, have a better understanding of what women in Afghanistan are facing. And I think, too, I had the images that we're seeing in the news and on social media of what's happening in Iran for me to really make the connection of what it must be like for women in Afghanistan. And it also really hit home that, you know, once again, this is all about democracy. It's all about having a government that represents the people. And when religion and government are intertwined, it's not good for women. (laughs) It's It's just not good for women. Mm -hmm. And, um, it would, yes, her, everything that she was sharing was incredibly sad. It was just really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And and then Nahid spoke um, a little bit more about what's happening in Afghanistan. A lot of it was echoing what Adela had shared earlier, but just how she said women's, the, the progress women had made just changed overnight when, when the Taliban took back over. And it just made me think, you know, well, what, what is the solution? Was the U.S. supposed to stay indefinitely? I mean, I don't know by any means how you, um, how you fix, I mean, that's such a big problem with the U.S. being there. Um, but now it's, it's an even worse problem with the Taliban taking over. And it's, it's just so sad when we have these extremist people in charge because it's, it's just, it's not great for, on a whole. I mean, maybe a few people are happy with the situation, but overall, women are in a terrible situation. Something that she said towards the end of the night that was like really breaking my heart was how these women are so desperate right now that they have few opportunities to um, provide for their families economically, that some of them are resorting to selling their kidneys. And she said some of them are even selling their children so that they can use those funds to help the rest of their family. And I was just like, is this really what's happening? I cannot imagine being so desperate that you have to do that. But if you are in that kind of place, what else do you do? I mean, you're you're just stuck between like bad and worse. And it, I really oh, felt for them and that 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 was um, the state of their lives right now. It was very sobering. A couple of more things from um, Nahid Farid. She also emphasized the global context of this, which I really appreciated. She said, what happened there could happen anywhere. Once again, very sobering, right? Just like it made my antenna go up again about religious extremism and frankly, bringing it home. Maybe our version of religious extremism doesn't have, it's not wrapped up in the same package, but it is still religious extremism. And it it just really was Mm -hmm. sobering for me. Yes. And then the other thing is that she really wants people to start using the phrase gender apartheid regime, which I had never heard before, but she felt like that kind of direct language was really important to use. And that, that, was also part of people waking up to what was happening in South Africa. And so um, obviously that was racial apartheid. But um, so applying that language, gender apartheid regime, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting. 
Yes, they didn't mention this, but it is very much of the moment, but how Italy recently elected their president, president or prime minister, whatever, their leader, the leader of their country. Um, and they that person identifies as a neo-fascist. And it's just like, oh my goodness, this, as I was, I was hearing a podcast about this earlier and how connected that ideology is to Christian nationalism here in the U.S. that we've been talking about, um, this this idea that we should intertwine a religious ideology with a with a government policy and how that really is so destructive to people's everyday lives to controlling what they can wear in some countries you know their their economic opportunities if they can leave the home if they can drive i mean people i'm sure some people think this would never happen in america but you just don't you you don't know what could and couldn't happen because look at what's happening on the on a global level. So it is a good reminder for us to be vigilant because at the end of the day, we're all people and some people want to severely control our lives. Some want more and more democracy. I think on a whole, we, we all collectively would believe in compassion and fairness and truth. So that's on our side, but it takes... It takes a lot of vigilance and a lot of people who are pushing back and saying, we're not going to be controlled. But it's hard when you are not the party in power. Yeah. Well, and that brings us back to our mission, right? I, I mean, I don't want to get too far off course, but which is to shine a light in these these places that uh, maybe haven't had a light shown quite as much as we would like to see and really unveiling the truth of what's underneath what's being presented to us that, um, some of the language and the terminology can sound so neutral or innocuous or benign, but that it is often a cover for something that is much more dangerous and destructive and has a very specific agenda that isn't democratic with the lowercase d, um, and that isn't helpful or healthy for all people, right? It's a very specific population and group that it supports. So we're going to continue that work of trying to unmask and unveil uh, what some of the words mean and the influences that we're seeing take control of so many of the power mechanisms in our country. Mm-hmm. Right. Because cause I think, at least for myself, a lot of times you'll hear stories and you're like, I don't know, it doesn't sound that bad to me, but really understanding the implications of policies that are being, being put forward so you can be a more critical thinker and have a better understanding about what people are really talking about under the surface, these things that we don't see so easily. We're hoping to help illuminate that. Um, so lastly, let's talk a little bit about Natalie, um, who as Nicole mentioned, works for the uh, George W. Bush Institute. Um, she, again, was talking, I didn't realize this, but I guess Laura Bush had made um, supporting Afghanistan women a priority of her work as a first lady. Did you know this, Nicole? I, I did know not this. know that. I didn't. Yeah, that was um, really interesting to hear that, that this was something on her radar and something she has had at the forefront of her mind. And Natalie talked about how here in the U.S. we've had 16 years of Democratic backsliding. And uh, as we've been doing this podcast and this election series, I feel like I'm starting to see more of what that really means and looks like um, when we talk about voter suppression and um, just the ways 
particular some legislators want to make it harder to access the ballot box, how that is damaging to us as a whole in our democratic institution. So I know that I've learned a lot just from speaking with our guests, and I feel like I have a better understanding of what this actually looks like. So it was interesting when she brought that up. Um, I mean, whether, yeah, it's voter suppression or the way our districts are being gerrymandered so severely that they're super blue and super red and how that's just not good for democracy. Um, What other specifics did she talk about, Nicole? I'm trying to look through my notes, really. Well, I wrote down that she was emphasizing that the safety of women is essential to national security and peace, that that we cannot lose sight of that and how important that is. Um, she was also very passionate. She um, was. I, I appreciated what she was bringing, that energy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and she talks about how Afghan women gained their freedom. It wasn't given to them. And it's just a reminder that we can't take this for granted. It's something that it, it's it's like a. Oh, I think I someone said this once that democracy is a muscle. You know, it's it's going to atrophy if you let it. You it has, it's a very active commitment and an active process to keep it strong and working and in good shape. So it's it's good for us to make sure we know what's happening at the different levels of government and understand what our leaders are putting forward or prohibiting because it affects us. And if we don't know, it could be taken away. And it sounds, and it's just so sad, you know, that, that we, we have women in our world who are in such desperate situations. But like you said, Nicole, I also was kind of like Afghanistan women, what? I don't know what it has to do with me, but now it's like, Oh wait, I need to know these things so that I can, so we can share that we can share this story and let more people be aware and hopefully from there find ways to support them um, because it's it's going to be a global effort to make this better for them and also to make sure our system of government is a strong one because I, I felt mean, more never, connected than ever. Like they are yeah. the cautionary tale and it is it really highlights and illustrates what's at stake. Like that that is where we do not want to go. And scarily, I can see the path there, here. I can see that here if we are not vigilant and mindful and careful. And, oh, yeah, it was very sobering. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, if they're in such a terrible situation, we should be the country that says, come to us. We will help make a better life for you. But we're just across the world. I mean, you see this uh, America first, Italy first, this isolationism. And that's so sad because what about these people who are in awful situations and can't leave their countries? Well, what about them? And and that's what makes me sad is that I feel this this global like shutting of the door and what country you're in is where you're at. It's like musical chairs, wherever you sit, that's where you are. Like, Oh man, I, I want to live in a world where we, where we have opportunity to go to a better place. If our place is is not going to work for us or our families. That's just how I feel about it. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting one. I mean, we could have a whole international policy debate. It's like, (laughs) yeah, that and improving outcomes for people within their own countries, right? Exactly. I mean, like, there's a lot of work I think that we could do as a nation in terms of supporting the world in better ways so that where you live 
is hospitable and is Mm -hmm. um, a place that you would want to be. Um, Right. So, you know, that's a whole. Yes. And I am definitely not an international politics expert. So I am slightly (laughs) dipping my toe into waters I have no business being in. Yeah, that's okay. This is where we stand today. And and I'm sure it'll be a different place in the future once we learn more and have uh, experts come and help educate us on these complicated matters. Um, but at the end, but for now, we're just learning as much as we can. So we do have some understanding of what's happening here in Texas and the nation and more globally, because it, it, as we, as Nicole said, it impacts all of us and it's, and it's a sisterhood. So it's good for us to know how we can be support systems and to just educate ourselves. For sure. Yeah. Any last thoughts from this event? Actually, just my final thought, not necessarily particularly about this event, but just final thought is by the time, Claire, that this airs, it will be really interesting to know what's happening in Iran at that point. Um, Because obviously at this point, there's a lot of protesting in the streets. There's a lot of violent backlash from the local law enforcement and national law enforcement there. And so I will be very curious by the time this episode is actually out for consumption, what Iran looks like. Um, So that's one thought. My other thought that actually just jumped into my mind is that for anybody that wants to watch these panels, it is available on YouTube on the LBJ Library Foundation's YouTube channel. They streamed it. I didn't realize it until I went searching. And so you could watch any of this if you found it interesting, if we tickled your interest or curiosity. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll include that in our show notes. So you can easily find it if you're listening to us right now. Um, But yeah, let us know what you think of this episode and just the state of women and the future of democracy we clearly think we need more women in leadership, but what do you think? Or And how do you think we get there? Because that's a lot of what we're trying to wrestle with as well is, is how do we make it easier? Um, what things can we advocate for so that we do see better representation in our government and make sure our democracy is healthy? Yes. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.